This is the GPL Podcast from GopherPuckLive.com. Now, here's Hammy, Vigo, and your host, Jupiter. Good evening and welcome to the GPL Podcast, episode number 157. Well, we're back to full strength tonight. Hammy's back after a, a week off. Did you have a nice little week off there, Hammy? Yeah, well, it wasn't really by choice. It was more <laughs> work duties, the regular work duties. So, yeah, uh, we, we moved. Unfortunately, to... I had to cut out, but uh, yeah, it's good to be back. Well, you actually got to a game this weekend. You don't get to as many games as you used to, do you? No, definitely not. Yeah, you know how the life, you know, creeps into the fun. So, yeah, yeah but I, uh, my girlfriend and I went to the Friday game, um, and uh, it was, you know, it was good because she hadn't been to a game in a while. I told her, yeah, you know, you might want to temper your expectations of the crowd <laughs> given the <laughs> opponent and you know, some of the changes in recent years. So, but uh, yeah, you know, all things considered, we had a good time. It wasn't obviously the the greatest played game, but, uh, you know, for a team that young, it was kind of nice to see them rally and then win at an OT. I uh, had a perfect view of the overtime goal, so that was cool. And uh, But it was a good game in that sense. And, uh, you know, that we're going to have to expect that with this team. It's going to mm-hmm. be some growing um, and some growing pains and some, interesting experiences i think especially this first half and Viggs, you were there uh saturday night with me we we both i don't think we were there you weren't there friday night were you nope i was watching on television as well i early mini might practice the next day so <laughs> stayed in and and we know that uh our guest this week bruce siski was definitely not at the gopher game last weekend he was in madison with with his uh umd bulldogs and Bruce, for one thing, uh, thanks for joining us. So it's the first time we've had you on the podcast. Which I can't believe you've done 157 of these things and not had me on once. I, yeah. I'm almost offended. Well, I'm sorry. Yeah. It's just how it goes. You, know, sometimes. you should be. I mean, that's fine. Don't don't be sorry. Be better. <laughs> you know, I thought about doing it last year, but it was the first podcast of the you know of the season last year when we played Duluth. And typically, we don't have guests on the first week. Just because we've got so much to talk about with the off season and whatnot, but you know, this year, you know, a couple of weeks in, I thought it'd be good to get you on. So, well, thanks for at least joining us. I'm glad to be here. Well, um, so Minnesota, there's time. To, there's time for you to make me regret being glad to be here. But, oh, you know, geez. for now, I'm glad to be here. No, we're we're, we're pretty tame, you know, <laughs> and and we know all hockey guys can take a little ribbing because they give a little ribbing. So that it just kind of comes with the territory. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> no idea. Well, you know, I, there might be some concerned people in up in Bulldog territory right now. They haven't gotten off to the greatest start. Uh, but um, I am personally, from afar, I don't think you guys should be concerned at all. Um, typically, you haven't really started all, out great each season, but you end great. And you've got so much senior and upperclassmen leadership right now are, are the fans a little worried or are you worried well i'm not worried um i i haven't really spent a lot of time asking around i i before i left madison on saturday the last thing i said on twitter basically was don't panic uh i can't vouch that everybody listened to me because most <laughs> of the time they don't but 
uh, I would certainly advise and maybe Bulldog fans listening to not panic right now because uh, we're, we're far from any point where there should be panic. Uh, you're four games into a, a minimum 36 game season. Be a long way to go and a long time to get there. And this, you know, this is not a finished product and any team that's a finished product now is going to be finished early. Cause you guys know it's, it's a journey and a long way to get there. A lot of work to do. And Vs, you know, one thing that we actually discussed a couple shows ago was, uh, you know, Wisconsin is probably quite a few weeks ahead of everyone else when they started the season, they've been together a lot longer. Yeah, they took their international trip and got some team bonded in early and got some extra games in. And so they know a little bit more where they're going to be on the ice, the systems, how they like to work the puck off the rush in the offensive zone, a little more special teams time. And I think that really matters early in the year. College hockey is so weird in the fact that, you know, they do have their skills practices, which they haven't had previously until recently. Day one, usually teams are playing. So it takes a while to get get up to speed, and teams need games to get that experience. Well, especially a young team like Wisconsin, and and you hit the nail on the head. Not only did they get those games up in British Columbia, they also got the 10 practices that go along with making that international trip. And those practices are, as you guys know as hockey people, uh, because it's such a short run-up to a season, those early practices they got are absolutely be vital for how young they are and they look like a much more mature hockey team last weekend than one that I would expect to see as young as the Badgers are and I, I would credit a lot of that to the fact that Tony Granado got them up there in British Columbia and got those extra practices well I don't want to make this Badger puck lie but but Hammy you know oh. they, they they have a lot of youngsters on that Badger team that are contributing right away well, uh, I think it's just a matter of they're taking that kind of Boston University high risk, high reward kind of a roll of the dice. I mean, they have some really talented guys that were, you know, obviously are great pro prospects. And it's one of those things where if you don't capitalize on it this season, you know, you might end up paying for it, you know, two, three years down the line because you don't have that continuity in the lineup. Um, so it, it's it'll be interesting to see if it pays off for them or not. Obviously, as Gopher fans, we do not want anything to pay off for Badgers, but um, <laughs> certainly, you know, it, they have some great young talent there, and it'll be a, a matter of can they pull it together at the key moments. Yeah, we'll we'll just have to wait and see. I mean, I really think that uh, you know having those early games did help them a ton. And uh, <laughs> sorry, but your, your Bulldogs may have just may have paid for it a little bit there, Bruce. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's, a lot of times, it's not who you play; it's when you play them. Exactly. You know, UMD is a little banged up right now, and you know, and so Wisconsin came in rolling, and they looked very, very good last week. And I am intrigued. You know, when they get in the Big Ten schedule, what are they going to do against the the, the more kind of structured teams like Ohio State, and Notre Dame, as we get into the teeth of the season, and those teams get better and better in their systems and their structure? How do the Badgers try to break them down and and, and get by them in this conference? And I do think, you know, the first game with Prudovich getting tossed out of the game so early, you know, that really throws UMD for a loop. They count on him to generate so much offense, play so much ice time. And then the next night, it was a pretty close game. UMD just didn't score. You know, they generated scoring chances, but it's always kind of been a struggle for Duluth to score goals, and, you know, they just couldn't catch up. No, and, and it's, you know, when you don't have a, that, that big-time sniper, you rely on your four lines, and, 
you know, the Bulldogs had a couple of depth guys that were missing from the lineup on Saturday and, and key players and key positions. And that doesn't help. But the, the reality is, you know, I can, I could dismiss what happened Friday because you lose Perunovich, then you lose Hunter Lelig. Now you're down to five defensemen. And they ended up playing Nick Wolf and Louis Rail a ton. I'll bet you they were both over 35 minutes on Friday. They had them in gas by the end of the game, and it looked like they were. And that didn't help matters at all. Then you look at Saturday, completely different game. I thought UMD kept their structure a lot better. They still had too many turnovers and a couple of too many coverage breakdowns for my taste. And I know the head coach wasn't pleased about some of that stuff either. But, you know, reality is that's a 2-1 game late, and, and if – you can crack the code and, and beat that goaltender once or twice. It's a completely different game. They, they could not figure they had chances. They had second chances. They had guys driving the net. They, they were doing the right things offensively. They couldn't find a way to finish. We've already got people in the live uh, Mixler chat. Um, kind of trolling you, Bruce. Um, I got Jess Fine. already saying Packers suck. <laughs> you know, hey, they're six and one. I'm not going to say a word. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it it's just a you know, it, people have said you know we I've loved the Minnesota and Minnesota Duluth rivalry for a long time. Um, I, I think it's wonderful that Duluth has been winning in the last decade and they've been winning big time. And, and one of the things you know that got Duluth where they were, especially the, the last two seasons, was their defense. And we always know that in the beginning of the season, Bruce. Defense just kind of takes a while to get going. I mean, you guys survived in the NCAA tournament with low scoring because your defense was so good. But at the beginning of the year, um, it's tough to get those guys going. It's not just you – know, think, people think of defense, they think of, of the defenseman and purely the defenseman. And that's typically not been the issue for UMD. You know, Viggs, I remember you and I had a conversation after that Sunday game at Mariucci last October. You know, it was – just there was an open open season in the neutral zone for the Gophers that night. They took full advantage. They're generating speed up the rink, and and by the time that they get across the blue line, the defenseman can't do anything about it because the forwards did nothing to stop them in the neutral zone. By the end of the season, the neutral zone was a completely different story for UMD. We saw it the year before as well. Uh, that's part of why I'm not too concerned. There's a there's a amount of communication and commitment that you have to have to defend the right way, the way Scott Sandlin wants these guys to defend. And it's a five-man deal. It's not just the defenseman. Everyone's got to be on board and know their assignments and know where they're going. And sometimes it does take a little while to get everything going the way you want it to. And, and Hammy, kind of going along those lines, that's kind of what uh, Coach Mosco has been preaching. You know, It's a process. It's going to take us a while to get where we want to go. And, you know, it was some tight games this weekend. But I think uh, Mosco kind of like – he still loves the progress – of the process that's changing. Well, I mean, I think we know with so many brand new faces in the lineup this year that it's going to have growing pains. You're not going to, I mean, I said it on Twitter the other at the game on Friday that I'm, you know, the chemistry obviously has yet to develop because when you see poor spacing, you see guys kind of bumping into each other. You see a little bit of, excuse me, overthinking, you know, overpassing, you know, you're not really playing as much on some of your instincts. You know, I think that there's obviously things that they have to iron out. So we're going to have to expect that, you know, especially when you're playing teams like UMD, that you're going to take your lumps at times. You just got to hope that you can weather it. And I think that's what we saw last weekend. They certainly had some uh, moments where you kind of just shake your head, but 
and they, they managed to do enough when it counted, especially on Friday with the game that I was at, um, to kind of pull get get across to what you want to do at the end of the game. And um, I don't know. These guys, I think they have a lot of potential, but we just are going to have to be patient. And I know that not everybody is that way, unfortunately. But um, I think they'll be good by the time the year's kind of rolling toward the end. <laughs> Skyuma Law wants to ask Bruce, what is your favorite road trip, both in the nacho and outside? <laughs> <laughs> the nacho, I like yeah. that. Uh, <laughs> uh, in the league, I would say probably either Denver or Colorado College. Uh, depends on the weather when we go out there, but uh, Denver's a great town. You know, and I, guys that know me know I don't like big cities very much, but I've always liked Denver. There's something about that place. And Colorado College is just a beautiful area. Uh, I, I it, it's funny, uh, you know, they, they got the new arena coming in a couple of years up there, and, and it, it's going to be a little weird because I've gotten used to where we are, and, and the, the area around the Broadmoor is very nice, but uh, very happy for them to get that on-campus rink. I think it's going to enhance things for them a great deal. Uh, outside of the league, and <laughs> boy, now with the, uh, you know, the restructuring a few years ago, I mean, going back to Wisconsin was pretty cool this past weekend, first time there since we left the WCHA, but uh, Michigan Tech's always been special to me. It's the first place I called UMD games in, and uh, it's always been a fun place to visit. So I'd say Wisconsin, Michigan Tech. We don't ever spend enough time at Minnesota for me to say Minnesota because we, it's, it's these home-and-home home series. I, I drive down, call the game, and go home. I never spend a night down there anymore. And, Viggs, you know, you and I have talked about that kind of extensively over the years that uh, I think the home-and-home home has kind of killed it for the fans a little bit. Maybe a little bit. You know, it was something where the two schools hadn't played for a little bit, and they scrapped together this agreement to get these five years of home-and-home home series just so both teams could get the other on their schedule. I think once this expires after, I think, 22, 23, they'll probably get a new deal, and I think it'll go back to two games at each site. It's just something that I think it's a little bit better for the for the host team and maybe a little bit easier to, to develop that rivalry. And Does anybody want to... Anybody want to ask Bruce, like, what's his favorite dispensary? Because he named two Colorado places as his favorite road trips. So maybe, he, maybe he has a favorite. Maybe that's why he likes to go, because he can you know, be legal really, and do bad things. <laughs> yeah, you know, after all these years of doing morning radio and having to hear these lame Colorado jokes, you think I would have learned my lesson. And I did. <laughs> I'm almost I'm almost embarrassed right now. I, I should I should have picked North Dakota. <laughs> well, we'd know that would be a lie. Come on, it's a flat. <laughs> That's true. Again, if you follow me on Twitter, you know that I think that the red peppers like eating a magazine. So yeah, what else are you going to do in Grand Forks? Oh, I've yeah. You know, I'm not even a huge fan of the arena. Yes, it's big. But I, I, the, sometimes the sight lines aren't that great. And, it, boy, I've been in the upper deck once where one of the sections was like 50 seats across. And if you're in the middle, you're going across a lot of people just to get out. Um, I know. The solitude of the visiting radio spot in the press box at Ralph Engelstead Arena is one of my <laughs> favorite things on earth. It's just great. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're off by your lonesome. You're on your own. You can basically say whatever you want. The only guy that's anywhere near you is the pyro guy, and he doesn't care what you say. <laughs> well, you know, as a fan, I really loved, you know, series up in Duluth, come stay in Canal Park for the weekend, just make a weekend of it. You don't have to drive at all. You can drink, you can walk to the game. 
it, it, it was just for me, it was, it was my most favorite trip to take, you know, back in the old days, which would be the WCHA days. Um, and, and I know I've seen Vigs there, you know, we've been there several times. Hammy, I'm sure you've been up there as well. For me, it was just always ideal because of the location, you know, it's off campus. It's down where all the action is. And, and, and for me, that's just very appealing as an opposing fan coming up just to play Duluth. Yeah. And I think that I, I understand why the home and home thing got put into place. Uh, it, we've talked about this from, from a business standpoint for Duluth, it made a lot of sense. And, and I think, you know, it's it certainly, I, I don't know that Don Lucia was a big fan of, of coming up here for a whole weekend. So <laughs> he wasn't really it, there. So those are benefits of both parties, if you know what I mean. But it, it, I think that you're right. I think it would enhance the rivalry. If we went back to the two game series, I look, I'm looking forward. I, this year we start doing that with Mankato. And I think that's going to be a very good thing for the uh, four years that we do it. Got another question from Sky Law. He wants to know who's your favorite bulldog of all time that you covered. Boy, that's like picking picking between your kids. Although I only have one kid, so I guess I really don't know. Uh, boy, spitballing on that one, I would probably offer up a, a, a boy. That's tough. Carson Kuhlman. Mm-hmm. Um, just a tremendous individual, Alex Stalock going back a few years and it's always been a joy following him since he's turned pro. Uh, you know, goalies are a little strange and, and I remember the first time a little, so I think back to the first time I got into an elevator during a road trip and Alex Stalock was in the elevator and I looked at him and I think I might've made eye contact. It was one of the biggest mistakes I ever made because he was starting that night and he wanted nothing to do with talking or looking at anybody. Um, but he was one of the, he's one of the more intense individuals that I've ever met. Uh, and, and a great guy to boot. Uh, Al's just a, a super individual. Hunter Shepard's got that competitive edge. It, it, he's a little different guy in terms of his personality. He's not quite as gregarious as Al is, but, uh, but Hunter's got that competitive streak and, and kind of the same thing. Just don't bug him on game day. <laughs> that's pretty typical though. <laughs> in all, you know, yeah. from college to the pros, that, that's, that's pretty typical. Um, oh, yeah. Frozen four champs ask, what's your relationship like between, or what do you think the relationship is like between Bob and Sandlin? Uh, that's a great question. I, I guess I really shouldn't try to answer it. Cause I don't know. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't. You know, exactly. I, I know I I know I get along with Bob, um, but that's that's all I can tell you. <laughs> you know, I would say a lot of people get along with Bob a little easier than it was with the Don. Yes, it's just you know Don's just personality is just a little standoffish and not as easy. Viggs, uh, it, it even took you kind of a few years just getting in and interviewing him before you really kind of got him to open up a little ways, didn't you? Yeah, I think he just you know wasn't comfortable with people he didn't know. Uh, yeah. Bob gets along with pretty much everybody. Yep. Uh, Scott, he's a little bit better away from game day than he <laughs> is think? after a game. He can be <laughs> a, a tough cookie after a game. He's a little bit easier after he wins. Uh, but I think they're both, you know, kind of old school coaches and, and they'll get along just fine. I know they're both looking forward to this weekend. Yeah. Scott and I get along fine. Bob and I get along. Bob gets along with all media people. I think it, he it, does. He likes to talk. He, he's one of those coaches that, that enjoys talking. He'll give you insight. He'll, he'll get, he'll tell you what's going on. He's, he, you know, he, he'll shoot you somewhat straight and, and answer your questions and, and media people always appreciate that. So um, yeah, I, I think he gets along with all of us pretty well. So let's get more 
back into the hockey here, guys. Um, Hammy, we have an interesting weekend coming up. Um, Duluth is, is, you know, a little bit struggling, and, and Minnesota is still trying to get to where they want to be. Um, so, <laughs> and another thing I would like to say is that I think Minnesota for the t- past 10 years has kind of played to their competition. So, you know, people say the speed limit's going to go up this weekend, and that's typically, you know, past five, 10 years, Minnesota can, you know, match that. Not to say that they'll win, but it seems like uh, they, they do fairly well in these situations when the speed limit goes up. Well, yeah, but I also think we have to take into account that we have a ton of underclassmen. I mean, a lot of first-year guys, and so they haven't faced a team that's as good as UMD. Even if UMD is not playing at the top of their game, they certainly have a lot of veterans and talented players. So you, um, we don't exactly know how they're going to answer the bell just because they did in the past. I mean, it's going to be that way this upcoming weekend. So we'll see how it goes. I think I was impressed with some of the first year guys. Uh, you know, certainly there's inconsistencies there like uh, Ryan Johnson, Jackson McComb. I mean, I thought I saw glimpses of really good player, but also, you know, they still had some freshman mistakes and you, you see some guys like Ben Myers and that are, you know, I think are going to be really good players. I think Sorensen played well. And I think I'm really optimistic about him as a college player, but um, you know, these are, first-year guys, and you don't know how they're going to handle things early in the season. They, they're they going to have those growing pains, and um, certainly we want to see some success this weekend, but at best, I just want these guys to get some good experience and hopefully play well enough where at least we're not shaking our heads after getting our ass kicked two nights, so we'll see how <laughs> it goes. And, and V, it sounds like we're going to have a, a pretty good crowd this weekend. You know, quite a few no-shows last weekend for Niagara. We kind of thought that was going to happen. I don't think that's going to be as much of the case this weekend. There'll be quite a few Bulldog fans in there. Yeah, you'd think for the ticket redemption, this weekend would be the game where people who have seats are going to show up. I know there's still probably five to 700 seats available for people to purchase if they're looking to go to the game. Uh, It should be exciting. I'm interested to see how Minnesota comes out on Friday. I think they pressed Niagara a little too hard, especially during the second period last weekend. I know you were tweeting at me. I'm probably cringing watching the game. I (laughs) I was. You You don't mess around with the puck at the blue line, and it seemed like Minnesota did not understand that, and it was just feeding Niagara's transition game. If you come into a game against Duluth with that kind of game plan, you're going to get eaten up. Uh, That's UMD's strength. I know Bruce touched on it a little bit earlier. You know, it's a five-man defense coming through the neutral zone, and that's something that allows the Bulldogs to be such a good team in the tournament because they play against teams who are trying to force the play, force zone entry, force possession, and it just feeds right in their hands when they're on their game. Yeah, and that's the thing is they weren't, I don't think, on their game last weekend. I am... I'm not going to say for certain, but I do believe that it's something that's been worked on and addressed here this week. And I'm very interested to see how UMD looks defensively in these games this weekend because, you know, I think they were, they had some holes poked in them last week by Wisconsin. And, you know, being down at practice a couple of days this week, I, it, it looks like they're working to deal with that. And, then, you know, you can look at seven goals scored in four games and think that's not very good. But I, I think that the attitude is right now is that that's going to come. But we have to get better on our own zone right now. We've got uh, Bulldog Lovin' Eskimo asking on Twitter um, earlier today. He's like, Bruce's favorite call 
from a Bulldog Gopher game. Is there one that stands out in your memory? I saw I, I saw that tweet, and there's two that come to mind. There was Mike Connolly's five-goal game in 11, uh, first year at Amsoil, which was a tremendous night, and, and a, it was, it's you know it's a win, so that's that's always nice. And then <laughs> there was the uh, then there was the boat racing of the Gophers in Manchester in the first round of the NCAA's, and I think it was 2015. They get up three nothing in the first, and basically put it in cruise control after that. And uh, the one thing that, that clouds that memory is the next night is the night of the the phantom penalty late in the third that Uh-oh. led to an Evan Rodriguez power play goal that led to Boston University going to the Frozen Four instead of UMD. <laughs> well, well, one thing that you know that these two teams are you know, franchises, as you say, have in common is that they've they've both won back to back tournaments or mm-hmm. titles, I should say. And you know, when it came from Minnesota to get that third one, they couldn't get it done, even though they had loaded team. Um, and, and this year, you know, I think Duluth's got a loaded team as well, Vigs. Um, but really. With Minnesota, it was just kind of a problem with some of the, you know, attitudes and some of the you know, feelings of people, and they just couldn't put it together. But I think Duluth's got a really good chance to do three-peat here. The one thing about Duluth and the three-peat chance is it takes a lot of hard work to get there. I wrote in The Athletic today kind of ranking where the five programs, I consider them programs, not franchises, <laughs> And Sorry, wrong word. <laughs> I, I put Duluth on top because of what Scott Sandlin's been able to get out of his team at the end of the year. You know, he doesn't necessarily have programs that can outscore their mistakes, but he gets them to buy into the system, and that's going to make them dangerous if he just gets the right pieces every year. Uh, you saw last weekend they don't have the pieces working quite right, but when you have leaders like Dominic Toninato, uh, Carson Kuhlman, um, Parker McKay, Justin Richards, you know, those are guys who buy into the system and get their teammates to buy in. I think when you have Minnesota teams that haven't done very well, you've got a lot of players who are distracted by other things. They're thinking, you know, how am I going to become a pro? Am I getting better skill-wise? You know, what do my zone entries look like to my pro scouts? Things like that. And so you have to narrow your focus to be successful in college hockey. And one program has been able to do that lately, and it's UMD. And I would argue that, you know, not just the two championships in a row, obviously those are very impressive and it's very, very difficult to do what they've done. But I would throw into the fact that the last five years, UMD has been at least in the round of eight. And in a you know, tournament where there's more parity than ever before, in a sport where there's more parity than ever before, the last five years, UMD has been among the last eight teams standing in this tournament. That, that's Denver as well, for that matter. That's just incredible. And that's one thing that Minnesota is trying to get back to, Hammy, is just being more consistent and and not on the edge of making the tournament, but making the tournament every year and being successful every year. And that's kind of one thing that's been lost towards the end of the Lucia era. Yeah, I mean, and I think, um, you know, like being said, it was kind of a, I think you have players that were kind of, their attentions weren't necessarily on what they were doing right in front of them, but more one step, you know, away from a pro career or some of those kinds of things. And, you know, I think a lot of people underestimate the fact that it's not just about talent. It's also about team chemistry. It's the intangibles and, you know, the work ethic of a team. And, um, you know, you got to have some of the, the right leaders. I think we've had some good leaders, but I don't think that we've necessarily had, 
enough of those character guys. And I think that what we saw last year um, with our coach is that, you know, he had obviously inherited most of that team, but he wanted to instill kind of a new culture. And it's kind of hard to do that with existing players that you inherit. But I think we'll start to see this year and in the, in the next coming years that you'll see more of those guys that have more of that mentality that UMD has been showing in recent years. And one thing that I think uh, really helped you this year up in Duluth, Bruce, is you didn't lose a lot. You lost some. Right. You lost some. You could have lost a lot more. But uh, these guys came back and wanted to play and win another championship. I think the second Hunter Shepard said, I'm coming back, I, that sealed it for a lot of guys because they know what he means to them and what he means to this team. And the fact that he wanted to come back as badly as he did – uh, that underscored it for a lot of people. And, and I talked to Shep a little bit in September, and, and he said, the, you know, for him, it was huge to, to hear that, that Wolfie and, and Dylan Samba are going to come back. And, you know, it, it, to, to have that support in front of him and know those guys wanted to continue to come back. And that's part of what's been laid here in Duluth is, is this culture where guys want to be here. They want to come back, and they want to have a chance to win again. And uh, you, you can't yeah, you can't put a price on, on having the experience and the leadership that this group does because of everything these guys have been through the last two, three years. I mean, Nick Wolf has played in the last three NCAA championship games. That's experience that, that you cannot describe in words. Can we get that two weeks? <laughs> It's going to take a little bit of time to have relationships with your recruits where you can talk to them and, and convince them maybe to come back when they're not sure. Now, there's a lot of people in players' ears these days with advisors and scouts and pro teams about trying to sign and, and move on, and sometimes those ears uh, get persuaded. I'm sure even Scott Sandlin felt more comfortable coming back when he heard Hunter Shepard was coming back because oh, yeah. he was being interviewed <laughs> by Anaheim. And, you know, maybe he could have pushed a little more to get that job. But when you have your goaltender coming back, maybe it makes it a little bit easier. And then when you have an AD like Josh Burlow, who gives you a contract that raises your salary up, raises your staff salary up a little bit, gives you a little retroactive money and bonuses, that makes it easier too. Yeah, he showed a lot of, you know, the, the university showed him a lot of loyalty and he has shown his staff an incredible amount of loyalty. And that's also part of it. I think a lot of that staff, you know, you know, guys like Jason Hurd or Adam Krause now, they want to be here too because they know that he's going to take care of them. Well, well, one thing that's happened, you know, obviously Minnesota, Minnesota, Duluth, are no longer in the same league. Um, what? <laughs> but, but, that but, but the old league, uh, the WCHA, it, it's, it's, still, it's still churning. And, you know, we've got uh, a ton of schools ready to break away and kind of leave – you know, Alaska or the Alaska schools and, and, and Huntsville out in the middle of nowhere. What are your thoughts on this whole situation here, Bruce, of what's happening to the old WCHA? Well, I, first off, I hate it for the Alaska schools in Huntsville, although the Alaska schools have their own set of problems right now that they are do. not related to the WCHA. So you know, maybe that's not an issue for them, but I hate it for Huntsville because they're, they're kind of left out in the dark here, but yeah, it's, I think it's kind of the same mentality that, that that broke up the WCHA the first time around is you've got some schools that want to do things one way. Other schools want to do it a different way. And eventually, you know, you're going to have a group, you know, when you have a, a majority like this, you know, seven out of 10 that want to do it one way, if they're not going to get their way, they're going to go somewhere else so they can get their way. Mm -hmm. I mean, it does make sense. 
It it does it does um you know it, it the one school that uh, we've talked about in the past who kind of got screwed the whole way around we thought was Bemidji State. Yeah, you know, Bemidji just comes into this great league with all these schools. They're there a couple of years, and then all of a sudden they look around and it's a completely different view. It is. And, you know, they went, they, they got their building, which, you know, they were told they had to get and, and they, they worked very hard to get it. It's a very nice building and a great spot. And uh, yeah, they turn around and all of a sudden this is a completely different conference and it's not the same stature. It's not the same level of play that it was. And uh, they've kind of always been forgotten. You know, even when the NCHC, all the rumors of expansion, it wasn't Bemidji, it was Mankato in Arizona State that were getting all the buzz. Nobody talked about the Midgey. And uh, I, I don't know exactly why that is, but but I do appreciate the fact that UMB plays them regularly. Minnesota's played them. St. Cloud went up there and played this year. North Dakota's playing them again this year. I think they're going there next year. So, and we go there again next year. It's, I mean, at least you're doing your part, but yeah, it's, it's been kind of strange how almost forgotten about they've become. And, and you know, you know, <laughs> We've talked about all this change and people, how they hate you know, Big Ten and whatnot. That's pretty much settled, Hammy. But um, the rest of college hockey is still changing. And, you know, teams like Huntsville and, the, and you know, the Alaska schools and even Arizona State, there's still a lot of jumbling to have go on here. Yeah, and I mean, I it's tough because you can't necessarily blame anybody for trying to maximize things for themselves. You know, it's an unfortunate that it does impact a few schools, uh, but you also can't say to yourself, you know, that you resent that this school or that school is trying to make their situation better. I mean, we all in life want to make our situations the best they can be. So I can't fault certain institutions for wanting to do certain things like that. So it's tough. And I don't know with such a niche sport and in the small amount of participants, you know, it's it's a tough one, and unfortunately, it has that kind of impact. Could we see maybe Arizona State joining these seven schools, Vegas? I think it's more likely you're going to see St. Thomas be the eighth really? program to join these schools. I don't think what St. Thomas has been doing in the MIAC is uh, so much as getting kicked out as looking for a way how to transition D1 as quick as possible. They make a lot of sense to me as the eighth member in that new league with the schools who are trying to leave the WCHA. They would make a lot of sense geographically. There's plenty of players that can play D1 hockey. It would make sense as a 61st program. I think that's going to be the movement. Uh, Mike Hastings was on Beyond the Pond in September with Pat Micheletti and Brandon Milleski, and he said he's excited to welcome St. Thomas to college hockey if they want to make the move. Well, I think we're, it's a foregone conclusion at this point that St. Thomas is going to end up Division One, and it, because the, the, they got the Summit League invite, which obviously doesn't affect the, you know, the, their hockey because that's not a, a sport the Summit League offers. But uh, if they're going to go D one and play in the Summit League, they're either dropping hockey or they're moving hockey to D one. I don't see any way they drop hockey. So yeah, I think at this point that's uh, it, it's, we're waiting for that to happen. And the AD they hired Phil Uston, he was the guy at. Penn State when they transitioned to D1 yep. hockey. So he's got that experience with what's necessary to build a program. You know, they're probably going to have to look for a rink. I know they have a couple of years left on their lease at the St. Thomas Academy rink. So something's going to happen there, I think, in the next couple of years. Could this uh, be the opportunity to get a decent 5,000-seat 
rink in this area. That's not, yeah, I mean, well, yeah, I guess that just, it's still, they go into D1 and it's still not a rink. You know, that's one thing we're missing in this area and it's been hurting the NCAA tournament is we don't have any middle-sized arenas that are not associated with schools. And, you know, if St. Thomas goes D1, they'll have to build one and then people won't be able to play there. They can't play at Mariucci. They can't play at Mankato, wherever. Um, we're still kind of left in the same situation in the NCAA's leagues. Yeah, the only way to really get a rink for the NCAA is like uh, here for Vigo brings up on the live chat would be, you know, the fairgrounds, get a new refrigeration system, upgrade the Coliseum, you know, make it where there's 5,000 seats or if there were to be a junior team. I know there's a lot of talk for a while about a junior team forming in, you know, some, somewhere like Edina and building a, a big rink there. Those would be the only hopes to have a facility. I'm so bummed that the Wild didn't make their Trier rink a 5,000-seater, so they could have hosted regionals. But maybe that site just wouldn't have been a good one for that many fans. Apparently, these people who want a junior team in town forgot what it was like with the USHL <laughs> team and, and Fridley and whatever else. So those weren't, Trust me, those weren't exactly well-attended games. Yeah, the Vulcans and the Magicians aren't exactly breaking down attendance records, but I think the USHL has changed a little bit, too, since those programs are around. I mean, we, we, we at least have some change this year, Bruce. You know, uh, there's going to be a Loveland regional. And it's somebody that, you know, it's a team that's not called North Dakota or Minnesota actually hosting a regional in this area. Well, if you would yeah, call it area. And I think Denver's already been penciled in to play there. Uh, they, they're pretty, <laughs> of course. They're pretty good. I, I, I'm pretty sure they'll make the tournament. So, uh, no, I, it's good. I, I think that. You know, Loveland, from everything I've heard, that's a nice facility, and, and it, it will do well. That's great. I think Sioux Falls is a tremendous facility. They did it. You know, keep in mind, Sioux Falls had that regional, and North Dakota wasn't there. It was UMD. It was St. Cloud State and Mankato, along with Air Force. And I thought for when you consider, you know, the fact that North Dakota wasn't there, and that was the host, and that was, you know, they bought a bunch of the tickets already, I thought that was a very well-attended regional with a great atmosphere, and it, it, it showed that that can work, that that type of model can work. I think you know Fargo this year without North Dakota, it, it did okay. And again, I think it showed that that can work. But the problem isn't that the, the, the system, the model can't work. The problem is that in the western part of the country, there aren't enough facilities that meet the requirements to be part of that model. And so you end up in the same two or three rinks every single year because nobody else can bid. And Vs, we've also had a couple, you know, areas that have stopped bidding. I mean, we don't see, you know, we used to see some Green Bay. We used to see in Michigan a few different places. Um, those schools stopped, or not schools, but well, actually the schools did stop, and those towns and rinks have stopped bidding as well. Well, I think the guarantee was something that scared off some programs. Uh, there's a lot of hockey programs that don't have the big budgets of the Big Ten institutions, so they don't want to put the risk out there of having a bad attendance at a regional. And then you have buildings like Excel and Pepsi Center that don't want to give up the dates for a tournament because they know it's not going to make money. So they're not interested anymore in being a part of a regional either. Yeah, that's exactly it. And I think you're, you know, what you're seeing is, you know, out east, it, there are some facilities that could make it work. I, I, having been in Allentown, it, it's stupid that it's the Midwest Regional, but Allentown works. 
Um, it's not, it wasn't a greatly attended regional, but it was a very well-run regional. As you guys know, those could be two different things. And, of course, um, they're not even using uh, a directional regional name anymore, are they, Viggs? Nope, which is a good sign for the NCAA sticking to this system where they're going to have three yeah. out east. Yep, you're right. Until you're the Western coaches, right. until the Western coaches get together and say they're going to vote as a block to go back to campus sites, you know, they could have a high seed host a first round elimination game. You know, there's a lot of options there. You're going to see three out east. It's just the way it's going to be. Well, and I think you're going to see. You know, you could. There's two things that could happen. First, you, you know, the idea of you know campus sites and a single you know single round games at like eight different sites. Well, that's going to take the involvement of ESPN. And as long as ESPN wants to televise regionals the way that they're televising them now, we're not changing the, the, the we're not going to change the format. It's going to be regional weekend, you know, three days, you know, the, the 12, you know, 12 games to pair it down to the frozen four. And so that's going to be, that's going to stay the same, but you can still allow for different sites that, you know, for example, when Notre Dame hosted a regional, you know, the Gophers have hosted regionals and, and, you know, Wisconsin had a regional at the Kohl Center. You can still allow for that without breaking down the system that ESPN likes in terms of having the predetermined sites where they can get everything set up well in advance, save some money and televise all these games over three days. Hammy, you still there? (laughs) Nope. Hammy had to go. He had to take a phone call. <laughs> I had a feeling he was. Uh, a, it happens. It, it does. He's he's a West. I got to get going pretty soon too. Actually, yeah, well, so there you go. Well, this yeah. is the perfect time because we've, we've kind of talked about a lot of things I wanted to talk about with you, Bruce. You know, it's always, it's, it's it's nice to have you on, and you know, we're definitely going to have you on again because I'm sure there's another home and home next year, isn't there? Uh, I believe you guys are up here for the icebreaker next year. Oh, that's right. Yes, Vegs. Maybe that's a chance we can get up there and do some drinking again. Should be. <laughs> so, okay, well, let's quick get your predictions. I'm thinking the home teams are going to win this weekend. You know, they'll be close games, but I'm thinking split. Vigo, your thoughts? Yeah, I think Minnesota is going to win the first game on the big sheet. I think after seeing what the Bulldogs uh, put out last weekend, they're not quite at that level of shutting down the neutral zone like we're used to. And I think it's going to allow Minnesota to get some offensive zone time. They learned a lot from their series with Niagara, but once they get up in the building, Amsoil, packed house, All rowdy awesome. crowd, it's <laughs> going to be challenging. <laughs> Bruce, what do you think? Uh, I think we're. I think I'm going to have to bring an extra tie for Friday because that's what the game's going to end in, and then uh, we'll get a home win Saturday. So <laughs> we'll turn the tables on you guys from last year, basically. <laughs> You know, that was fun. That was the, the the one game I went to as a fan last year was up in Duluth. I always love going, excuse me, going to Duluth. And it, it was, it was a fun time. And, you know, when we went through overtime. Everyone was like, is this it? Yeah. We're, we're ending. And yeah, yeah, that's it folks. You know, that's, yeah. that's, that's how it's going to happen. You know, unfortunately. Thanks, thanks, a lot. thanks a lot, Mike Schaefer. <laughs> that's kind of how it goes. Uh, Viggs, I saw you, you just, you just had an article out with the, with the, the athletic today talking about them bulldogs. Uh, what else are you working on? I got a couple other stories looking at uh, how some of the players train in the off season, um, looking at the captains of Minnesota's team. And, uh, we'll probably have a few more things coming up here going into the holidays. All right. And, uh, Bruce, you're still busy with all that radio stuff, aren't you? 
that's all I do. It's my life. <laughs> well, we, have it any other way. Well, we appreciate you coming on, and uh, I'll be I'll be sure to stop by on Friday and and say hello to you. Um, so it's a it, we always have some fun, good ribbing between one another. But you know, it's college hockey. We have we all have a blast, no matter what's going on. And we have to stick together. There's not enough of us. <laughs> that is that is true. <laughs> Well, that's going to do it for this episode of the GPL Podcast. I'd like to thank Bruce for uh, joining us. We'll be sure to have him on in the future, hopefully. again. It's 157 episodes before we do this again. I'm going to have a problem. (laughs) For those of you listening live, stay tuned for a little bit of overtime. For the rest of you, we'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. 